This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. Always was, always will be. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Awesome nerds, and welcome to D&D and TV, the weekly podcast where we rewatch and recap television shows we really enjoy and talk about how the themes, concept, and characters uh, could be used in different role-playing games. I am your host, Jeremy, and I am joined by my co-host, Athith, who is talking about a cyberskeleton, but this is the first I've heard of it. Oh, and I've got so many eyes. There's always something to do with the eyes. Always the Except eyes. They're just The glasses. eyes are watching. That's true. Are they? Jeez, I'm disappointed uh, now. Yeah. I keep telling people I've got four eyes and it's just, I'm just wearing glasses. Oh, you're just wearing the glasses. I see. I see. But how many gla- pairs of glasses do you have? Because that could make, bring it up to like 16. It's true. I need some of the ones that have like the googly eyes that hang on the springs and fall down. Oh yeah. We can arrange that for you. That's all. That's not a problem. That counts as cyberware. In our that comments. counts as cyberware. <laughs> Because uh, we are talking about Cyberpunk Edgerunners, uh, the series on Netflix, uh, Season 1, Episode 8, Stay, in which Faraday finds himself stuck between Arasaka and Militech. Lucy and Rebecca confront David about his change of behaviour, but he refuses to listen. And that's, um... That felt like a soap opera synopsis. Oh, it's like, it's just two sentences, huh? It's like... Two it's, basic it's, sentences. It's 4.55 on a Friday, and the yeah. intern's just trying to get out of there. Uh, which, honestly, that's kind of all that happens. It's it's not much on this episode. It's Yeah, honestly, credit to them, yeah. <laughs> I've heard um, I've heard something like Places at the Table that happens as shows start near the, the finale, where it's kind of like you get all the pieces in place, like you set the places at the table for everyone at the, the final encounter. And this is what that episode is to me. It's kind of like setting everything up for the final showdown. Or the final yes. arc, as um, it were. We do get introduced to a couple of new characters who turn out to be pretty we important do. behind the scenes people. Yeah, the, uh, oh, Falcon? the counter intel. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, with the counter intel for Arasaka. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which was, yeah, that was interesting. I like to see them. All right, how about what's what actually happened? Do you want to recap? What yeah, we'll recap happens. what happens very yeah. quickly. So it starts off in an Arasaka lab, and some woman's all like, hi, can I go home because I want to see my son before he goes to the academy? And the guy's like, hey, yeah, you can go home uh, after you get me this sample. Ha, 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 ha. And when she comes back with the sample, David's there, and he shot her boss, and then he shoots her. Uh, and, okay, cool. That's um, pretty messy. Then we get the, the Arasaka, like... Um, counter intel trying to figure out what's going on and they're like talking about this murder that just happened and all that kind of stuff uh, and they decide we're going to try and catch this this net runner that keeps hacking into us and we're going to chase it via the fixers in town because fixers are just like scum to us and they pull up Faraday and do a hit on him and when he goes to Militech to ask for hey I need some help they're like get fucked you're a fixer uh, so they get in with him now and kind of like, hey, we could pay you better, but you got to find this netrunner for us. And the netrunner, of course, is Kiwi. Not Kiwi. Lucy. The other Lucy. one. 
the other one. But at the same time, so it was David's, a fifty-fifty shot. Yeah, it was a fifty-fifty shot. There's only two net runners that we actually meet by name. Anyway, David's having some issues because, of course, he shot that lady. Uh, and he's not able to sleep and his chrome's causing all these problems. So he keeps having all these flashbacks and he, um, like, Rebecca comes up to him and is all like, hey, I don't want you to die. Uh, and Lucy's like, hey, I don't want you to die. Uh, so he goes to Ripperdock and he has a bit of like a freak out and gets more meds because he's really on the verge of cyber psychosis right now. And Lucy confronts him. Is like, hey, you got to slow down. He's like, but I need to do this for you and for Maine and for my mother. And then she gets another ping um, as they have a big serious DMM. And she's like, oh, I've got to stop this other Netrunner. But it turns out it's a trap. It was actually uh, Kiwi and Faraday betraying her to catch her for Arasaka. And that's where it ends. Yep, that, that was, a, yeah. That's all. Everything you said happened. That's true. Did I? Do you think I left anything out? I pretty much got everything, didn't I? Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a moment where Lucy sees, like, Arasaka's still sending people on, like, the really deep dives into the old net. Right. But that does not play into this series at all. And I figured that was just, like, some sort of world building ties in with the game or something. Yeah. I think... I don't know. I think it's just more like tying into Lucy's backstory and stuff and giving her motive, I suppose. Oh, good. Finally, Lucy gets some agency and motive. Or unless she didn't it was, have any before. Uh, unless they're trying to say it was like something back from the old net. It's like that was the original cyber skeleton or something, you know. Oh, yeah. Some kind of like revisionist almost like plot hook which is a very D thing it's like oh actually this was tied back to this thing from ages ago that was always the way that. yeah thanks brett con that's a rick and morty joke for for those who've seen it uh, my iq is not high enough for rick and morty yes that's what i would have said about that <laughs> um, so uh before we dive into this i want to talk about like the crew that, that David has. Because this is kind of what we see in the first sequence. That David kind of goes in and just like kills the director, kills the the woman and gets out. And Rebecca's just sitting there like, this is the most boring job ever because I'm not needed. Kiwi was barely needed and we're just driving off with Falco. But we've had a question um, coming to us from, from Meek at Masters of Alchemy, uh, who has kindly sponsored the show uh, this week. Uh, so that's who's brought you D&D and TV. Thanks, Meek. She asks us this question, which is, what's the ideal makeup of a D&D party, as in player traits? You guys mentioned having a note uh, taker, someone to keep people on track, the rules person, etc. Uh, so there, uh, she's interested what we would think about that. Oh, interesting. So we're talking about yeah. players, not characters. I think a little bit of both, honestly. I think players and then also just kind of the roles that somebody needs to play in a party. Like you could have a party of all tanks and it's just going to be stomping down the door, but what kind of roles do you think a party always needs? Oh, I thought from the question that she was implying like players at the table. Well, see, I think she's implying that as well, but I'm asking both. Sure. Um, obviously it's somewhat system dependent. Yep. Um, I think any like decent game master is going to be able to to work around the party composition as well. Yeah. 
Um, well, I think, I think actually, bef- just to interrupt you there, I feel yeah. that D&D is one of those ones where you don't need a party composition because the classes can always kind of do a bit of everything. And it's always yes. kind of reliant on what the character does. Whereas something like Cyberpunk, um, something like a few other games in that ilk, the classes have a very specialized role. Like you'll have the nomad who's the driver. You'll have the net runner who's the cyber person. You don't really have the cyber person also be the face of the group. Like their yep. class kind of determines what role they play in the group just as much as it does their character. Um, well, I'm glad you brought that up because I've, uh, as I mentioned last episode, I've been reading a little bit about the cyberpunk RPG. Oh, have you? Uh, I have, and it is very much, if we're just comparing it to like 5e, which I think is a fair comparison, especially considering what most people are familiar with, yeah. um, there are a lot more skills, and the they are a lot more specialized in terms of the bonuses you get to them. Um, the You'll easily end up with like plus, plus more than 10 on a d10 base roll, mm. essentially, compared to... You know, D&D, you're rolling a D20 and you're only getting, like, plus five or whatever for, for so much of the game. Yeah, you'd be um, so basically, surprising if you get more than that, honestly, unless you really yeah. max it out. Yeah, so it's basically, it's like, the things that you're good at, you are very good at, and kind of no one else is. Mm. Um, and there isn't really that same chance for someone to just kind of luck roll their way up to it as well. Yeah. I think I prefer that. Honestly, yeah, and I think going back to in terms of like party composition, I think that's what's most important for just the enjoyment of everyone at the table is that you want people to have their own identity, you want people to to be able to do something and feel like they're good at this thing Mm. and just know, like, okay, this is my thing, this is what I'm good at, you know? Mm. Yeah, I think that's very true. You want to be not a specialized role, but to have something that makes you stand out from the rest of the party. And I think that in D and D, that's kind of really good for subclasses. I know I've had a I had a was in a party where we had two rogues, and it's like when the two of us attacked at the same time, whatever we hit was fucked because of sneak attack yeah. and all these things. But one was a thief rogue and the other was an assassin rogue, so it's like outside of combat we had very different skills. Yeah, and that that'll obviously vary from like class and subclass to, to other class and subclass. Um, I think a lot of like maybe barbarians are pretty similar, I'd say. Um, but then you have something like clerics, like the different cleric subclasses are very, very different. Oh, very different. Yeah. I mean, it's different as the gods themselves. Oh. I'm wondering then, what kind of players do you need at a table? Uh, is there certain players that you kind of always need? And I'm wondering whether that's also dependent on the dungeon master or the game master. Or the style of game, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Like, I would say, um, if you're going to have a... Um, if you're going to have a dungeon crawl heavy sort of adventure, if that's what the game master likes to run, that you're just going through tunnels and going through all this stuff, you really need a map taker or a map maker. That's... I feel like that's a pretty old school... Yes. Like, I've never run a game like that. No, you wouldn't. Because most of them died out before you were born. Because I'm, I'm younger than you. That's right. You're cool and hip. <laughs> yeah, 
You can find a FIFA on TikTok at. Uh, I'm, I'm stuff it, stuff it. it. <laughs> you like stuff it at TikTok. It. <laughs> yeah, you stuff it. No, I think that that was something that was definitely needed in the past. I feel that now has been replaced by the note taker. That somebody yep. who will, and I feel that most groups actually need two note takers. You need someone yes, who. Yes, I agree like, with that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it'd be great if you had an entire group of note takers, because uh, as a game master, like having everyone scribble down your words frantically is wonderful. But I feel that you need two note takers at least. One person who will take meticulous notes because that's the person they are, and someone else who will take some notes, but will be kind of the backup. Because yeah, all... it's just like cross-referencing and like yeah, fewer points of failure. I think it was very telling in Critical Role recently when the person who took the notes wasn't at the table and so they needed to remember NPCs' names and like all these things that they had and like, oh shit, the person who knows everything isn't here. What do we do? We've got to ask the dungeon master and he's going to be mad. Yeah. Um, of course, there are like, you can you know, have in-game reasons for, like, oh, like, my character is such a high intelligence. Like, they'd remember. Yeah, they'd remember. Um, and so, yeah, and so you can, like, gamify it as well. Yeah. Um, for people that don't like to actually take notes. But I also find it helps just for me to remember stuff as a dungeon master, because I don't always remember if it's, like, from way, way back, uh, what the name yeah, of this if it's random like NPC was. Yeah, three years ago, and they're like, hey, remember that town we went to the very first time? We should go and see how that bar's doing. And you're like, oh, God, what did he sound like? I don't remember. Yeah. I'm wondering... Okay, so we you need a note. You need at least one note-taker in our ideal game. Because I feel that this is... it's The question said ideal makeup of a D&D party. I feel that that's just our ideal rather sure. than a sure. general one that everyone could apply to. I feel that this is another one, that they've got someone to keep people on track. That would normally be the game master, in my opinion. Um, not necessarily, because you can have like a... Well, I think in my um, experience, it's been the, the game master, and that's usually because I'll insert an NPC, just kind of move everyone back to the story when possible. Yeah. But if you've got like a party leader who finds the quests for everyone and like says, this is okay, everyone, we're going to sit down and we're going to decide what we're going to do and we're going to have a democracy and we'll decide on it and we'll figure out what we're doing, but we're still doing this adventure. We're not piss fighting around and like buying silly hats all week. Yeah, as much as you would love to. Yeah, as fun as it is. So if you want to do that, play Fiasco or some um, other game. I think it does. It does. I think it does help to have players ha do that as well, though. Um, yeah. Just uh, just to help like alleviate kind of pressure and responsibility from the DM. Um, and it is really just as simple as like, hey, let's stop. Let's just make a decision, you know, and yeah. let's just do something. And particularly in like a gentle way. Yeah, and I think maybe some DMs struggle as well with. Um, trying to address that because it feels like taking away player agency, you know, yeah. it's like, because if the players just want to like faff about, then it's like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to tell them that to stop just messing around. I know. I certainly feel that in paid games as a professional game master, if I'm running a game oh, yeah. and somebody just like, I just want to go shopping. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. I'm quite happy to do that with you. You are aware that you're paying, but this is your dollar. You're okay with it. Let's, let's do it. 
Um, yeah, paint games this, add a whole le- yeah. element and yeah, level to Be- that. Because I very much want to give them the experience they're seeking. Like, if that's what they want to lean in towards, right. yeah. sure. Um, but obviously, that's not going to be everyone's game. So just to remind people, hey, we've got other stuff that we can get through. And so I want to just kind of push the narrative forward. Because also, when players don't know exactly where to go, they tend to just kind of mill about aimlessly. They just kind of try to go in every direction. So having, I don't think it's really a, like a someone to keep people on track. I think it's more like a sheepdog. You need someone yeah, to kind of like shepherd your your the rest of the group to the adventure. And it also kind of ties into that idea of like quote unquote railroading and the the perceived kind of openness of tabletop RPGs, where like you could do anything, and that's the appeal, and that's kind of the dream we sell sell to people. Like, yeah, you could do anything. But this specific thing is what I've planned and what will be yeah. much more polished and, you know, better presented than anything else. Mm-hmm. That, would, that would be really useful if you just followed the plot I've already got for you. Yeah, it's, it's like, a, you know, a game that's in early access and it's like, here's what we've actually made and here's like just the, the beta version of everything else. Everything else is just beta. Like technically you could go there, but it's just, it's just not going to be as good. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's like really fuzzy and the walls haven't been built yet. And yeah. yeah, the NPCs have glitches and just say the same things over and over. Like, well, like the NPCs are like, the, the textures are still trying to like render in and that's you trying to come up with like who this NPC is because you're just making it up on the fly. A couple of them are just stick figures in the background. They, they don't have like fully fledged voice acting out, like fully fleshed voice acting. There's a um, adventure that it was written. I think it might have even been Michael Shear who did it for the MCDM uh, Arcadia magazine or zine or whatever you call them. Yeah. Uh, and it's basically a mimic street, like an entire street in a city is a mimic. And it's actually created these people so it can watch over the real people who live there. And that's exactly what they sound like. It's like super sketchy outlines of people who just kind of do the same things over and over and can't use words properly. <laughs> that's like, that's what you get when you go too far. You run into like the mimic world where it's just the same same actions over and over. Yeah. Um, that doesn't remind me of, uh, I don't know if you watch Doom Patrol, but there's like a character who's yeah. just a street. Yeah. Oh, yeah, um, there's a few in Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol's great for yeah. that. Yeah. Danny the Street. Yeah, Danny the Street. There was another one. It might have been coming from Wildstorm, where it was uh, someone, one of the characters in the superhero team was the Living City. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, comics are weird. <laughs> Com- comics are weird. Uh, so that's another one, the Shepherder, or the Shepherd. Uh, and the other one that um, Meek has mentioned is the rules person. And I think that's also someone that's quite useful. Not necessarily, it doesn't have to be the game master. This is someone that has to be in every party. Someone who won't correct you on the rules, but someone who will point out when a rule is applicable or will ask a question about a rule just to make sure it's working properly. Like clarification, yeah. yeah. There are like good, good questions to ask, yeah. Yeah, and it might be something like, hey, does sneak attack work in this situation? Or it might also be, oh, by the way, game master, you forgot that that guy went reckless and now all attacks against them have advantage. Yeah. So it's just kind of keeping keeping the fun within the boundaries. Otherwise, it kind of gets off and gets wild. And then some people will be like, oh, but I felt like I was cheated or I felt like I was getting stuff or I missed out on something. Yeah, I mean, listen, the rules are fun. <laughs> like, I will die by this. No! The rules are fun. <laughs> 
So um, rules are fun. R- rules are there for a reason. Yeah, rules are there for a reason, and it's so. I think they're great for players because you know what you're capable of. Like you know what's possible. You know what I can and can't do. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like it's just understanding the world. I guess it's like if you don't know know the rules, then you're kind of blind as you travel through this world. But the more you, the more rules there are, and the more you know them yourself, then the more you kind of comfortable you can feel playing in that space. I think the rules in that regard is also somebody who doesn't only adhere to the rules and see this as it's more, you remember the rules and ask for the clarification. But if somebody says, yeah, but that's not going to apply in this case, you go, okay, cool. Yeah. It's not like a also hard rules of and... rules are meant to be broken as well. That's, that's right. The other thing. <laughs> that's right. And to be aware of the rules without being aware that they're rigid, like not thinking of them as rigid things just to be aware that they're there. Yeah. Um, I think a common thread with all these kind of roles that we've listed so far is that a lot of them are things that the DM could be doing or that the DM, I guess, is expected to do by default. And all of them are just kind of about alleviating that. And I think Mm. that's what the ideal makeup of a party is. And I think that's what makes a good party, at least in terms of the player composition. Um, it's just making life easier for the DM. Like, yeah. Well, I was going to suggest this person who invests in the world. Uh, and yeah. that can just be one. Like if everyone else is not invested in the world, but they're quite happy to listen as the one person who is asks all the questions and interacts with everyone. That's fantastic because it means the game master's got someone to bounce off and everyone gets to experience it and enjoy it. But the people who might be a little bit shy, uh, might not have as much, um, I guess, knowledge or comfort in doing it, they don't get put on the spot to find these things out that they might be interested in. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I would agree in, with that as well. I, that's, it's nice to have that. In retrospect, I don't think there is an ideal party. <laughs> we spent 20 minutes on this and I feel like we haven't really so I, I know. It. Okay. The short answer, the ideal party is the one that shows up. <laughs> that's right there we go the one that shows up yes yeah the one that you enjoy running for i'm gonna answer also true. The game yeah. Yeah. yeah uh so thank you for your question meek uh as you know you can reach us on dndntpod at gmail.com uh so if anyone else has got any questions you can send it through there uh so the end episode of the episode we, ah, that's gonna wrap up there i'm just not gonna even bother about the episode we were talking about no let us get back to cyberpunk because um Geez, can you imagine being the map maker in like a net running se- session? Oh my god! Ugh. And just like all the the verticality of everything yeah. as well. That would be nuts. That would be nuts. We do get to see a bit more net running um, in this, don't we? Oh, not too much, but we get to. Um, there's a bit more focus on it from here on out. Yeah, I, I do remember. I don't think we touched on it last week, uh, last episode, but they they mentioned about the deep dives and how like specifically they explained about how it gave, it gives like 3d form to, to the net. And like, that's why they do it to help navigate the net easier and stuff like that. Oh, okay, cool. That's good to know. So it's kind of an explanation for all the, the visuals that you see and stuff like that, basically. Okay. So that's why they're in the bathtubs. Um, yes. And that's why it looks like it does when you see all the, the kind of blocky people. Well, I liked that because also when I think it was in the previous episode when uh, Lucy killed the guy um, at the end, 
spoilers, I guess, for the episode we <laughs> watched last week. When Lucy killed the guy, we had like these little cutaways of what she was doing in the on the net at the same time as she was doing stuff in real life. Like you had a profile of him and then you had like a cutaway at the back of his head as she attacked his cyberware. I thought yeah, that was well, think... really cool, that overlay of the two realities. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a cool visual. Yeah. Um, and that's actually something you can do in the RPG game. I know um, when... <laughs> RPG game. Role the RPG game. game. <laughs> uh, in the Cyberpunk RPG, I know that... I was just looking at this the other day. Um, when you are net running, you have... Uh, they call it like... I know the real world, they call it like meat actions. It's like the things you can do in the real world. Great. Um, and then it's like, and then it's, there's obviously like the net run actions that you do kind of like mentally, essentially. Oh yeah. Don't um, you, and you get can like kind a of go back and number. forth. Yeah. Don't you get like a certain, like you get more thought actions than meat actions because of the speed. Yes. Of it? Basically. Yeah. yeah. That makes um, sense. But it also cool. depends like on what, what kind of hardware you're running. And yeah. Yeah. Speaking of hardware. Uh, okay. So David's whole thing with murdering the woman and the, the, director he has this flashback later on like he again he can't sleep he's doing his weird i'm gonna stand there staring naked at things um in the middle of the night and he does this flashback to the the job at the start and i wasn't sure was this a dream where he killed the director and then he saw all these guns pop out of the guy's neck or is that what he saw during the job and he like had like a bit of a psychosis episode then i think that's what he saw at the time yeah i think that is i think that's true as well um which is also i think we saw that with main was it when main was like going out in a blaze of glory like all the guns popping out and stuff like that no well david had that dream when kurosaki was was messing with him oh that's right that's where it was yeah but main was like seeing weird stuff as well like people with this black blur like the world was kind of turning into this bizarre surreal landscape for him so yeah i think it i think that's kind of that key of david's body start or his mind starting to break down under the weight of the chrome um which i i think because this is like it's crazy when you think about like this is the third to last episode and it's like it just feels rushed like to me the whole descent into cyber psychosis just feels rushed for david it was literally last episode his hand was kind of twitching and now he's fucking like murdering women because oops psycho well like before that he had like one implant and then now yeah. all of a sudden yeah now he's like a brain he's like a face sitting on a metal metal box basically um he's got that much in him yeah it does like i gotta wonder i mean obviously it's about addiction right and it's like Obviously, that's yeah. a very complicated and a nuanced thing, but you do have to kind of wonder, like, why don't they just stop? You know, like. Well, he. This is the thing that when Lucy confronts him and says you have to slow down, he says he can't. That it's not about like he was saying to Ripperdock, he feels better with the uh, the chrome in him than he did as meat, and I feel that's the addiction part. But he also says that he Maine had things for him to do, and his mother had things for him to do. And he can't do that as the person he was. He needs the Chrome to be able to live up to what they were. Like he's running out. Of, he knows he's running out of time. So he's like, I need to do this as much as possible so I can get the things done. Interesting. So you think at that point he's already like beyond the point of no return, essentially. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think because this is after Ripperdoc like gives him the last meds and it's like this is nine times the usual dose yeah. and it'll last you nine days and by then you'll be dead, so it doesn't matter. And Dave is just like, cool, okay. And that to me kind of sums up that it's that punk aesthetic that he's not going to make it out. So he's got to get everything done in this like brief candle flame of existence that he's got. Yeah. Um, and that is the case with, with Maine as well. Yeah. Where they ask him to slow down. He's like, no, I can't. Well, see, Maine, I feel, was more of an addiction. And David's more like, I'm ju- I just live fast, die young. I've got this Mayfly yeah. life. I'm going to get as much done as I can and then I'm out because... Sorry. It's almost a little bit... Um, it's not... Is it hero complex? It's not that, right? It's like a sacrifice complex kind of thing. Where, oh, like a martyr complex. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, I've got to do this for Lucy, you know? like Yeah. Yeah. Which is... That's also very anime. Yeah, he's got to do it for his mother. He's got to do it for Lucy. He's got to do it for May. And it's like, it's only like, he can do it because he's the chosen one. Well, yeah, and that's what um, Lucy keeps saying. It's like, you're living for their dreams, not your own. Yeah. And she understands that because she was living for Arasaka's dream as a as a child soldier. And now she's like, well, I'm out so I can live for my dreams. And, okay, I think this is where it's going with it because he also sees this ad for the, like a moon trip. And he's like, oh, yeah the moon that's a lot cheaper than i thought and she's like oh you remembered i wanted to go to the moon because now he's yeah. living to get lucy to the moon yeah it's like david never really lives for himself i'm wondering if that's the point that it's trying to say hey sometimes you have to live for yourself yeah it's just treat yourself huh this is like therapy treat yourself just don't <laughs> fill your body with chrome yeah don't chuck all the chrome in your body don't don't avoid uh real don't avoid the meat um, well, speaking of cyberpsychosis, which okay, is cool. obviously a yes. big, that's obviously like the kind of big yeah. plot driving yeah, force. Yeah. Um, uh, reading the RPG, because oh, yeah. apparently cyberpsychosis is a thing in the mm-hmm, RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not in the video game, I believe. So perhaps people who are just coming from the video game or their only exposures from the video game, they're not familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, yeah, it's very much a thing. There are types of psycho, they're called psycho squads, which hunt down type, when people go cyber psycho, which in Edge Runners, we only see Max Tack, but yeah. apparently there are other squads as well, um, which is also pretty cool, I think, the idea that there's just oh, yeah. this whole like legion bounty of hunting different. Groups. Yeah. yeah. Love uh, it. And that would be a really cool, you know, character to have, like someone part of that. Oh yeah, that'd be awesome. If or if the entire group is a a cyber hunter unit, psycho hunter unit. Oh, that would be yeah, that'd be really cool actually. And like you've got to prove, hey, that guy's actually cyber psycho. And what if you get it wrong? You then have to cover it up because you're playing an evil campaign apparently. Or even these guys are just way out of your league, and you've got to figure out how to stop them. All very good, very good ideas. Yeah, um, but essentially the short version is that. Uh, yeah, it's it's like the name suggests, psychosis. Um, those that are like predisposed or to to psychosis and stuff and to violent tendencies are more susceptible to be to to cyber psychosis. But so mechanically, runners, basically, yeah, pretty much. Uh, but mechanically, there is a humanity uh, kind of st- statistic to your character and a value, 
And anytime you install cyberware, there is a humanity cost associated with that. Now, I have a question. Does that just like, a, is it a number that just reduces your humanity by, say, six if you get an eye in, or 12 if you get both eyes done? Or is there just a chance of you rolling? And if you get a certain um, number, like if you roll under the number of points of cyber where you've got, then you lose, like it reduces you. I'm not 100%. I know that the humanity loss that you'll get from certain types of cyberware have dice associated with them. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when you'd roll them. Um, but you can also just lose humanity from, you know, like PTSD type things that yeah. at the GM's discretion. Yeah. Because that kind of reminds me of the sanity mechanic in Call of Cthulhu. That it becomes yeah. more of a, the more weird shit and messed up shit you see, the more affected you are by it. I mean, essentially, and, yeah, it's the same idea, yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess that's that's. I was going to say, what are some other ways you could see that working in a game, or um, and obviously in that case, players might eventually fall succumb to cyber psychosis. What occurs in that case? Is there anything in there? Uh, I'm not sure because <laughs> I'm wondering if this is like like lycanthropy or other curses in um in say a D game or any sort of urban fantasy game where it's like once you kind of cross that line you stop becoming a player character and become an npc because either you're too powerful for the world or you're just no longer a part of the game that's getting played like you can't i be think it is that evil it does seem kind of like that i know you can go to therapy um to reduce psychosis as you should me- just in general there's a mechanic for that um, there's a mechanic yeah, there's for a whole... therapy. That's the best yeah, news I've heard. <laughs> actually great. I also like with all the cyberware, um, depending on like the complexity of the cyberware, uh, there, there are some that are just like aesthetic and you don't, they don't have any humanity loss associated with them. Yeah. Um, but all the cyberware has a, like an installation level of like either you need to go to like a hospital to get this done or you can just, one of the levels is just mall. So it's like you just go to, get, go to the mall and get this installed. Oh, there. like getting like used pierced. Yeah, it does. Yeah, specifically say that. Okay, I have a question then. So this has come up a couple of times uh, in the podcast, but also oh, in the show. Sorry, I've just found it now, real quick. Oh, good. Um, yes, when your humanity drops to a certain level, um, it, there's like increasing levels of dissociative disorder, and then at like a certain level, it just goes over to the GM, basically. Like okay. the character just becomes the GM's character. Yeah, that's when you kind of like have the the charm spell on you, and yeah. you suddenly yeah. become a monster. All right. Well, speaking of monsters. Um, so we know that the, the cyber psycho that took out Pilar had chromed his dick. And we mentioned last week that David definitely didn't get a cyber dong. Like he didn't have a chrome dong. Right. I know that that was one of the big things in cyberpunk 2077. Like when you could do character creation, like you had different sizes. Yeah. The dong slider. So is there a measurement a for how much name. humanity <laughs> the dong slider is the band name i love it that's my cyberpunk cover band um is there a measurement of humanity for if you chrome your dong you know unfortunately i haven't been able to find it i feel um, that that's like a missed opportunity for them i just I feel, feel like that's, that's something a, that players are gonna that's ask a, that would be considered like fashion wear honestly okay okay um, i guess it depends what you do to it if you replace it with a gun that's probably more than fashion wear <laughs> sure. I mean, I've seen from de- from dusk till dawn. I know that there's like, like a gun that can be stored there. 
that's before uh, yeah, your time. A, that's before your time. That was like the nineties. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, check a brain dance recorder in there. You know. Oh god. Relive your, <laughs> your greatest moments. Oh, I don't know why that occurred to me. Oh, that's right, because they're naked constantly in this episode. Um, and um, actually, speaking of them being naked, Lucy and Kiwi had this conversation when they're both in the bathtubs. And this is where they started to come into, like, that just reminded me. It's like that very convers that feel of, oh, yeah, I'm just chatting with my friend. We're both having bubble baths, just having a talk, having a smoke, that kind of thing. Um, but also a lot of the language they use. This is where we really see that language of, I guess, text speak or mental calls come through. This, I think, yeah, this, I think this is the most, like, prolonged uh, conversation we've seen in that space, yeah. Yeah, because it really does keep going. It's like a really quite a long conversation. And it's and it does... basically stuff that we saw last episode anyway, but it's like a really cleverly done one. Yeah, and it starts to like sink in the, the difference in the speech pattern and stuff. You really start yeah. to notice it. Which was interesting because I did notice that in the final conversation between David and Lucy, he was using a lot of the same mannerisms. Like they both yeah. kind of were cutting off a lot of the pronouns. They were having these really short little bursts or short terse sentences, which is kind of what it is in the other speech. It's almost like, yeah, you know, this might be a bit before your time, Jeremy. It might but, be. You know, when you had sent a text message and you had the character limits on, you know, so it's like the text speech where everything got shortened down. Oh, I, I know what you mean. Like a telegram. Like when it was... <laughs> when you really yeah. had to pay by the letter yeah you had to dedicate four letters to stop because you just didn't there wasn't a, a full stop <laughs> that's right yeah stop stop uh yeah i think that's a really interesting thing about it that it's something about the tech for it um and that idea i mean to me that kind of feels like all the different languages you use in a different role-playing game like thieves can't and all yeah. these things it's like there's a special lang lingo that you understand or you use in this situation, but not in others. Yeah. And I think it is, I do think they brought it up earlier, but it's just, you just notice it a lot more at this point. Yeah. I think. I think it's because there are more conversations like that. Yeah. And I think going forwards as well, there's a lot of back and forth uh, through those calls. Mm. Cause it only really occurs in those calls. It's not what people speak in their usual. Yeah. What I found yeah. interesting, this is going to be not a spoiler really, but later on Faraday has a call like that and he uses it then. And Faraday had like, it's a lot of lines in this episode and he is so refined. Like Giancarlo Esposito just speaking yeah. his, his beautiful velvety voice to us um through it and it's like this person would not speak like an edge runner in that situation but obviously it's something about the way the calls function that they do or it's bad writing um but <laughs> uh yeah well this is also um you know faraday's been built up so much in this series previously as like this big boogeyman and stuff mm. um, but now is when we really start to see that there's actually people above him right yeah um so it really starts to sink in with all the, the corpos behind everything. Yeah, the, the corpos will always win. And Faraday is just a middleman. Yeah. And it's a middleman that the corpos fish. just think... Uh, is, he's scum to the, to the corpos. Because they literally say, like, fixers in Night City just do whatever we pay them to do. Yeah. 
And it kind of, uh, this becomes like a theme for the last couple of episodes, but this whole idea of, of like espionage and like the backstabbing and things like that. There's a lot of that starts going on here. Yeah. Like they say, everyone who knows about the cyber skeleton has to die. Yeah. And it's like, well, who the fuck knows about the cyber skeleton? No one. According to us. Like, this is the, literally the first I've heard of it. Yeah. So, um, okay, I guess everyone's safe. And so, like, no, no, no. If we're having that much of a, a point on it, obviously someone's getting killed off. Or someone's going to get targeted. Obviously. And Chekhov's a big, yeah, big twist at the end. Kiwi. Yeah, Kiwi. Kiwi's betrayed um, Lucy and doesn't seem surprised that it's Lucy doing all these, these uh, murders. Um, did you see that twist coming? Uh, I saw Faraday's twist coming, that he was going to backstab them all. Kiwi, not so much. Yeah. I'd say the same, probably. I probably should have, because, like, after the call with Lucy, Faraday shows up at her door, and it's like, well, what's that going to mean? And then, of course, we know that Faraday's going to set traps and things for her, so it kind of makes sense that Kiwi's there. But I'm just wondering whether Kiwi knew that it was... It was, um... Lucy all along. Oh, yeah, I'm not sure because they they do talk about like they keep talking up Lucy about like how great of a net runner she is. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that kind of diminishes how good Kiwi is. Like, I feel like we don't really get to know how good Kiwi is. Yeah, I feel that Kiwi's good. Like Kiwi's top of the line, but Lucy just knows Arasaka Rice and can just glide through it with like nobody else. Because, you know, she yeah. built most of it. So I think there's that. It's like Kiwi's just as I think good. That... It's just there's specialties in that. That's that's the difference between, like, a PC or an NPC. And it's like, this is specifically... I thought you were going to say PC and a Mac for a second there. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is like a PC. Like, it's to do with their backstory. And, like, we yeah. specifically add this, you know, weakness to, to facilitate that. Yeah. No, I think that's right. Um, I did like the the trap that they laid for her as well. Because it was like, hey, here's the, we know what you've been targeting, so here's a target for you. But then she finds someone who's like got a chrome head or something. Yeah, that was a little ambiguous. That was but ambiguous, but it... I did like the idea of using a doppelganger like that as a trap. Or like a yeah, construct. it's one of those like cool little, like, we don't need to explain, right? It just yeah. looks cool. Like, yeah. yeah. It's like, oh no, it's a hologram. Um, and it was, it oh, was, there a, was good, a bunch it was of a good cliffhanger too. I liked it as a cliffhanger. Yeah, there was some gratuitous violence in this episode. Totally. There was. There was just uh, some random just... element of Rebecca and um, David killing a whole bunch of guys for some reason. Yeah. It was there was a fun moment I thought where Rebecca was shooting a guy and like kind of like juggling him in the air essentially with her shotgun shots. He was just like spinning in slow motion through the air. <laughs> She just kept shooting him. This is why Rebecca's awesome. She's quickly uh, becoming yeah, my she's, favorite. She's fan favorite for sure. Yeah. Anyone with that happens to her. Yeah, I hope everyone gets out of the show okay. <laughs> it's definitely a show where they all lived happily ever after with bunnies. <laughs> Particularly when Rebecca then later is like, oh, I really, I just don't want you to die like my brother did. Shot by some guy with a chrome dick. Yeah, again, the uh, the lack of subtlety continues. Um, I know, especially the the lab attendant. 
um, yeah. that's just exactly like his mom. <laughs> Even down to the photo. The photo was like the photo <sighs> that he has with his mother. It's actually, that's so not true. On the, nose. the photo he has, he's very clearly trying to get out and look super uncomfortable in the photo. Whereas this looks like the perfect Arasaka life. Yeah. Little and I think that's why it's on the nose because it's so obvious parallels, but we're meant to see the difference in the parallels. Yeah. That that's the life he was supposed to have. And he's an edge runner. He was always an edge runner. He couldn't have escaped that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's my thoughts. Um, I don't know if I've got much more to say about this episode. It's a yeah, weird one. Not a lot happened. There was um, lots of talky talk. This is we start seeing more of the, you know, the, whenever the cyber psychosis stuff sets in, there's a lot of just like, it's the vibes, right? It's all the visuals. And yeah, uh, we see a lot of the eye motifs with when he's like at, at Ripper Doc, yeah, like Ripper Doc suddenly grows like a b- bajillion eyes and stuff. Oh, and he's got he's like this spider him. feel to it as well. That was yeah, cool. Yeah, he's like telling him uh, like not to, you gotta, you gotta ease up on the chrome and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked that feel to it. I thought that was nice and surreal and like fever dream esque. Um, yeah. Which I guess you could work in, into a role playing game in a bunch of ways. Cause I find that would be really hard. That's really relying on my imagination at the time to really keep it at that level. I could come up with a couple of things and after right, that I'm just right. like, oh shit, I've got to really, really come up with all this other weird shit so that they keep looking around. And that's, that's too much for my brain. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's hard. Like, I think on occasion I've had like a player get, um, Drugged up. you know, take yeah. some sort of like, yeah, take some sort of drug basically. And it's like, like, how do you describe that? Right. Cause it's supposed to be really wild and lucid yeah. and. See, uh, that's when I, I only let my players ever take one drug and that's MDMA just so they feel like, I mean, I don't know what MDMA is like. Um, definitely don't. And it's more of that. You just feel really good and you feel really connected with everyone. And it's like, you can read yeah. their thoughts and just like have the, the low chill rather than the super LSD style. Right, I haven't taken right. LSD either. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> feel to it. <laughs> Um, yeah, anyway, or yes, you can also just, yeah, you can just pull from what they usually do in media and stuff. And you have like the, the slow sitar music and like the psychedelic, you know, kaleidoscope-esque colors and just yeah. swirling rainbows. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably the best way. I think like that, that way you have all the trappings and everybody knows what's happening where you're having to really go yeah. down the rabbit hole. Uh, but don't do drugs kids. Yeah. Don't do drugs. This episode brought to you by... <laughs> brought to you by Dare. <laughs> brought to you by Nancy Regan. Uh, okay, anyway, maybe we wrap that episode up before too many questions are asked. Unless sure. you have anything else that you'd like to mention It's about just it. not, not that much happened, honestly. No, it's not that much happened. It's, it's, we're in the talky-talky anime part of it, which... It's, sure. the, it's the calm before the storm of yeah. the, the next couple episodes. Yeah. yeah, it's the setting up of the pieces. Now we're going to get yeah. all the super important things that feel like they're very, very heartfelt, but they only apply to something that was said like four episodes ago. And I'm going to forget what that is. If I didn't watch them in order while somebody's head's like bouncing off it anyway. Um, so there is one thing that we need to do before we go off. Eve. Did you remember? I remembered. I always remember. You always remember. Usually the one that, uh, that pokes me about it. It is time for, uh, to PC or NPC. 
And that is where we pick an NPC or a character from the show we just watched and talk about how we'd use them as a character in one of our role-playing games. Uh, would you like to go first? I went first last week, so I think it's your turn. Uh, sure. Uh, my pick is uh, the NPC, uh, the evil boss guy at the, at the lab. Who is oh, yeah. The mo- director, the, the most... director Eric's Jenkins, something? Yeah, like the most Saturday morning cartoon villain. Like, oh, he's just the worst. so laughably quote-unquote evil he's the worst it's like oh and it's 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 written by someone who's like how can we just make him how can we make someone just instantly hate him like um which is funny because i did oh boy story time i had an npc like that in my campaign Mm -hmm. not quite to that degree Mm -hmm. but essentially my party was a bunch of goody two-shoes oh um And they kept letting, they kept like negotiating with people and like trying to save them and like redeem them and stuff. So I'm like, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to send like the evilest bad guy I've got. And it's like, they have to kill him, right? They have to. Yeah. Uh, Totally backfired. Ended up being like the longest running NPC with the party. Um, (laughs) But he was like, uh, you know, like I burnt down an orphan and I like stole all this money. Burnt down an orphan? (laughs) Yeah. Just one orphan. Just one orphan. Uh, Burnt it down and just all that like really over the top stuff. Um, oh my god! I and love th- the players just eat it up. They love that. Yeah, they do. They love the they love the super like mus- mustache twirling villain. I love that even his animation looks like classic Sailor Moon or Samurai Pizza Cats or something. Yeah. It's like almost it's so a just little like bit non threatening. Yeah, his mouth just kind of flaps. Like I can't imagine it matches any dialogue at all. <laughs> And I don't think it's meant to. I think it's just meant to be like, ah, la, la, I'm a cartoon. Yeah, they spent more time animating the frames where his head gets blown up into those yes. gruesome little... Yeah. Yeah, I, I think detail. that's meant to... I think that's meant to be because he's not really a person. He's just some yeah. sort of cipher for David's... whole David's shit going on. Um, so yeah, that's a good choice. I like that. Well done. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pick... Uh, someone that I believe you picked previously. I'm going to go with Faraday. Julio. Uh, Julio, yeah. Uh, I think that Faraday has really started to step up in this one. And I think we're starting to see just the lengths he'll go to to get what he wants. And also a little bit more about his personality. That he, when there's the hit on him, he like goes to Militech and he's like, hey, I need more help. And they're like, uh, you're a fixer. No one gives a shit. So we start to see like who he is. That he really is this mid-level boss who has these delusions of grandeur and that to me as a villain is fantastic this person who really does not matter in the scheme of things but to the party is someone to be scared of oh he's great and i think like a good villain is so important to like any story i think those are always the the best stories i think those are the ones that people really remember the most are the ones that have a memorable villain um it's why i'll always like you know my favorite superheroes are like batman or spider-man because they have like the best rogues gallery right they have the most interesting villains oh yeah like the shocker yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay look i'm gonna no i'm gonna go on a tangent about the shocker the shocker is a spider-man villain from his rogues gallery he only ever shows up for like two or three pages in an issue and he's basically the guy that spider-man catches before the main story happens (laughs) okay and it is fantastic because there's been a number of different shockers. It's basically like this equipment right. that you get and it can rob banks. And it's just this guy who keeps going around and Spider-Man always catches him. And just that idea. I like that. That's a good, 
a good thing. So the shocker, yes, that is part of Spider-Man's Rogues Gallery. Anyway, sorry, that was a tangent that I enjoyed. Yeah, I don't know good if you villain. guys had fun. Faraday, Faraday is a good villain as well. Yeah, they do yeah. a real good job building him up. I think he's introduced yeah. early. There's like a good level of mystique. He's got a cool design. Um, just leaves you wanting to know more. And I think there's... I've mentioned this before as well, but I really like the idea of someone who's not... Uh, like not so much like physically powerful, but it's about mm. like their connections, right? And he does have that that air and that aura about him. It's like, oh, like he's not, you don't want to mess with him. But like really, think, it's not like he's, yeah. I think that's a very telling point because while he's not physically threatening, when he shows up and starts offering David jobs with Militech and things like that, David can't really say no. Yes, yeah. Like there's no, like the smart thing would be to do would be to say no. Because these are the jobs that got main killed. He's seen Faraday kind of pull shit before. It's like, you should say no to this guy. And all the problems go away if you say no to Faraday. But if you say no to Faraday, jobs start to dry up. And you've got to, like, help everyone else out. So you've kind of got to say yes to this guy. Yeah. I thought that was... Yeah, I think that's another thing about him. That he doesn't, like, pull all the strings. He just has that much power that it's dangerous not to give him what he wants. Yeah, and I think that's because you know, like you have a villain, you put a villain in front of a party, like they just want to, they're gonna want to just like punch him in the face. Yeah, they want to make fun start... of his coat and they want to like poke him and yeah. Yeah, especially when they start monologuing, it's like I just I cast fireball and it's like, well, what if it's not that guy? Like you could, you know, you yeah. could just instantly kill him, but like, what are the repercussions? You know, yeah. what are the? You've got to think about the connections and that that idea of power coming from that is really interesting. I yeah, I think that'd be cool. Yeah. So Faraday, good choice. I feel like I might have gone a little early on him, but now's probably the time anyway. Yeah. Uh, so that is it for us. If you want to get in touch, send us an email at dndntvpog at gmail.com or um, at dndntvpod on Instagram because Twitter's a shit show. And while there is an account there, who knows for how long. Um, come looking for us on anywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us reviews and ratings. That'd be really great to get us out to more listeners. Uh, this episode brought to you by Masters of Alchemy, which I think I mentioned earlier, the game must premier game mastering service of Melbourne. Um, if you want to, if you want a thief to run Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, sorry Cyberpunk Red for you, get in touch with Masters of Alchemy, mastersofalchemy.com, and he will run a game for you, and you become a cyber psycho just like David. If you want me to badly describe what taking drugs is like. Yes. Yes. Because you're on drugs. I mean, what? Uh, <laughs> so until next time, stay safe. Thank you so much for listening. Be kind to yourselves. Wesley crushed out there and may all your hits be crits.